Hey, this is Jim. This episode is our conversation with David Thomas Tao, co-founder of Barbin.com and until recently CEO uh, when they were actually acquired a couple months ago by uh, by Pillar 4, and uh, which is kind of an exciting thing to talk about in the strength space that, that someone who is providing news on the strength world actually gets acquired by a serious media company. Uh, it seems I would have never bet that that would have happened um, uh, years ago, but it certainly did. Uh, David, somebody that I should have crossed paths with by now, but I hadn't, Mike certainly had. Anyway, um, we had a great conversation with him that we really enjoyed. I'm uh, not always the biggest fan of doing remote uh, interviews, but this one was great because uh, he was a great guest. Dave is in New York City, and they just had the experience of the Canadian wildfires blowing smoke their direction, and we're in California, and we have that stuff all the time here. So uh, anyway, that's what's going on at the beginning of this conversation. It sort of starts in media race, but enjoy. So we had them on, because we're in the valley, basically. So we had them on three sides of us, and it looked like that. Yeah, so we had the COVID going on. They're telling you to wear every mask in the sun. And then we have, like, fucking ash flying from the sky, and they're telling you don't leave your house because you're going to inhale flames or something. It was Seeing the world like that literally does feel like uh, uh, like a Harrison Ford movie or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Blade Runner. Yeah, it looks insane. Or Dune or something. It was crazy. I was seeing those pictures on Twitter in New York. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, Dune is a better analogy. That's a little more like topical. Yeah, I haven't seen the whole thing. Or the Blade Runner sequel when they're in Vegas. Yes. Orange Sky. Actually, that was a great movie. I liked it. I, I loved it. And I didn't, you know, didn't like the original Blade Runner the first time I saw it in the theater. I never saw the first. I only saw that one. Same same director as the new Dune. Right, yeah, which I loved. But yeah. I was a nerd for the original one too, so. Next Dune's coming soon. Yeah, this year, next year? I think December-ish? Yeah. I think they should just call it Next, next Dune. Dune. Yeah. Like, not Dune 2, next just Dune. Next Dune. I don't even... Yeah, I need to catch up. Welcome to the Next Dune. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Yeah. Or like Dune 2, Next, next Dune. Next Dune, yeah. And, and instead of all the funky names that go with the books. Was there? Is there three books? It's a trilogy? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Is no, 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 no. The books are like... It, there's like oh, eight Yeah, books. there's like three that were written by Herbert. And then there were a bunch that have like... One of his family members' names on it that were his yeah, son, ghost written yeah. by somebody else, and they just used his name for the hell of it. Yeah, yeah, they're not as good after after that. Yeah, they they get even. I didn't. The second one was okay, and the third one it was just too stupid and sad. I don't like <laughs> stupid sad stories. I mean. Like, cause you you come out of the first book and it's like you know okay so victory has consequences but it's still victory right mm-hmm. and then you get into the next one it's just like oh this whole governing thing is really complicated and the politics are going to kill us and oh the politics killed us and you know I don't know is that the core that Star Wars stole kind of the poli- <sighs> the political essence of Dune maybe because that's what everyone says yeah maybe. I think like the universe that Dune made is so big, it's like impossible to say everything that came after it didn't steal oh, from it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Their attention to detail was so sick that everyone's a copycat, just purely based off covering every yeah facet of 
sci-fi. Yeah. And, and yeah, there was stuff that was borrowed from other, you know, like classic sci-fi stuff. And there were things that were bo- borrowed from like recognizable current culture too, you know, along the way that made people able, able to resonate with it. A little egg-headier than some stuff. Yeah. Star Wars is like a perfect balance, I feel like, of like casual and nerdy. Yeah. Or Dune seems extra nerdy. Dude's pretty nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> like like the normies aren't. Well, speaking of nerdy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're here with David Thomas Tao. Who Are you a self-proclaimed nerd? Self-proclaimed strength nerd. I'm a, I'm a strength nerd and a whiskey nerd. Uh, I live at that middle of that Venn yeah, diagram. I feel, like, so. I feel like that's a pretty good portion. Um, yeah. Whiskey and lifting, for some reason, go pretty hand in hand. Maybe it's like the, I don't even know what culture. Because vodka maybe is more popular in the Russian strength world. But in America, whiskey yeah. and, and lifting are kind of the gig. Yeah. Well, it's kind of. I, yeah, oh, I was just saying, uh, Alexei Tarakti was in New York a couple years ago. He's an Olympic champion, a weightlifter who still does a lot of content. And I was hanging out with him, and he was like, David, I've never tried the whiskey before. That's wild. And I was like, never? And he's like, no. Huh. Nope, never had. He said, the, like, the, the, yeah. the whiskey. And uh, that was great. It was cool to, like, introduce someone to that. Did they just not have brown liquor? That's wild. It's yeah, not really, not really in Ukraine, yeah. I guess. Uh, not much of a culture around that, yeah. but yeah, I introduced him to it. He 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 knows. He knows what's up now. Yeah. Well, that, that well, actually, that's a good question. That's a sort of down my list question. Uh, like, how do you introduce someone to whiskey who has no like? Where do you start? What which what flavor? Or you think it's going to be the most um, successful with someone who doesn't have any experience with whiskey? Just like a Hennessy and a Diet Coke? Because that's where I had a... A Henny yeah. Coke? <laughs> the highest class I think, of drinks. I think, I think the best place to start with whiskey for someone who's completely new to it is probably bourbon. And that's not just because I'm from Kentucky. Uh-huh. It's sweeter. It's a little more accessible. Like you can have it anytime after a meal with a meal you don't want to start something or someone with something like really smoky or like super high proof um if someone's not used to like neat alcohol i think like a lower proof bourbon is a really good entry to that to see if they just vibe with it plus they're sweeter typically and cheaper exactly because of the corn I mean, typically. I mean, I can find you expensive bourbon. Yeah, oh, yeah I have. Absolutely. I have bourbon. I paid way too much money for. Yeah, <laughs> but like a, a decent <laughs> bottle of bourbon is, you know, forty bucks. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we we have on the set with us, and we have since the beginning of 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 you know when the weekend that we opened the gym, there was a bottle of uh, Redbreast Twenty One here that Mike um, oh, lovingly. Stuff procured for us i had to google because i didn't know shit about whiskey i don't really know anything about anything to be honest so i just kind of sit on google but that tasted good tasted good i to me. uh i love the older red breast stuff i have a bottle of red breast 27 i'm waiting to crack for my birthday this year mm. and that stuff tastes like it tastes like liquid pineapple and papaya it's like so fruity wow. i absolutely love it 
So is this a big birthday then? Oh, no, okay. Just no. Oh, well, every birthday can be big if you believe. <laughs> every pizza, every uh, pizza can be a personal pizza if you believe. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I say that, but like, my birthday's next month. It's right when everyone's on vacation, uh, so I always think it's going to be like a big thing. I invite all these people, and it just turns into like me drinking alone, dang. and I'm like, "Whoa, we're doing it up." <laughs> it's probably better that way, dude. People suck. I just had a big birthday and like I got to hang out with my grandkids, but that was it. I was you know away from home, had to travel the next day. I was tired. Yeah, I don't really do birthdays. Yeah, I would- happy happy thirtieth by the way, Jim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Times two. So yeah. Um, what's uh so the average gym nerd meathead lifter guy partakes four to seven days a week, right? What's the average whiskey nerd guy partake? Does that mean you're just having a whiskey with each meal? Do you got a breakfast bourbon? Oh, no, man. I Since I started doing stuff in the whiskey industry, like per, like professional tastings, tasting panels, reviews, I drink so much less. Yeah. Because you just like blow out your palate every night if you drink mm-hmm. all the time. And then like you just can't – the temptation's always there because there's like an event every night. You could go to. So I I probably drink like two to three maybe evenings a week, and I count how many drinks I have. Otherwise, I'm just not able to function. Yeah. That's my issue. I, I like alcohol a lot. I like I love red wine, but I, I'll have like one drink, and I'll be hungover for five days. One drink. <laughs> I, it happens. I it. it happens. I don't know. It's so bad. And it could be anything. I had one Corona last summer, and I'm fucked up for five days. A Corona's barely beer. <laughs> I was gonna say you're still you're still messed Dude, up. St- yeah, I still probably shouldn't drive. Three hundred seventy-five days ago, <laughs> you should definitely get your liver checked because it's not Isn't doing that its crazy? job. I mean, I'm, I like I don't do steroids. I, I've never even gone through like a college binge phase. I think my liver's fine. Fa- I think yeah. maybe my liver is fucked. I don't know. I think I'm just a sissy. Is part of the issue. Maybe that's it. I'm just running. Actually, what I like to say to boost the confidence is I'm running so optimally. That one negative step backwards feels like it's just a whole yeah, wrench in the com- system. Yep, that's what. Yep, exactly. In college, I had a friend who had a very low alcohol tolerance, tolerance, and uh, nothing wrong with that. He's shaming us, and he he vom. No, 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 no. no. I, but he 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 vomited once after having a couple of drinks. Like just booze wasn't for him, and he just came back from the bathroom at this party, and he was like. Man, my immune system's too strong. Yep, yep. kicking out all it poisons. Just, it would... <laughs> yeah, kicking out all poisons. Destroy all poisons. He just like he just like tapped he just like tapped his chest and he's like, system's too strong, man. I relate. I guess that works. I guess that works. I relate. Uh, <laughs> just say that. Uh, so uh, you know, one one of Mike's friends was questioning me the other day about the whole you know process of podcasting because Mike and I've been doing it for almost ten years now. And he said, like, do you have, do you, like, research guests and do you, like, have, like, a list of questions you want to ask or whatever? And I'm like, fuck, no. <laughs> Not really. Uh, sort of, a little bit. But there's, no- been a, there's been a couple guests that if I had no clue who they were and no connection, yeah, I might do a Google. And then we've done some touchy subject ones right? where I would Google around so I didn't sound like a total idiot that I am. But most of the time, the people we talk to are in our spheres. 
Yeah. So the, speaking of that, so the the one question I really have to ask is, how have we not crossed paths before now? Yeah, I don't know if we've chatted either. I obviously worked with you and your brand a good amount, but I don't know if we've actually chatted. Uh, Mike, I'm I'm a little. I'm a little sad. You were on the Barben podcast uh, a couple years ago. I do remember ago. that. I remember that. I thought it was Jake there at the time. <laughs> I, I, I was Jake there also, or no? Was it just me and you? He he was he was, but I think you and me that was am I, am it on the podcast. It was like 2016, 17. Oh no, that was like 2020. No oh, way. Oh, Maybe like pandemic? right pre-COVID oh, well, or was right in after. Deep depression, yeah. my friend. My uh, memory's gone. Oh, that's right. You did it again. We weren't. We. That's right. My memory's been gone for. We five weren't even years. around. Like. We we didn't have the podcast until like 2020. No way. Uh, yeah, I mean, we only launched, we only started in like mid 2016. The, the barband.com. But to your, yeah, barband.com. Um, to your question, Jim, how did we not cross paths? Someone asked me that recently in New York. They're in the fitness industry, mm-hmm. and they used to own a gym like a few blocks from where I used to live. And they're like, "How have we not crossed paths?" And I thought about it a lot, and my answer is I'm just not very cool. <laughs> well, and, us either. But. And because of that, like, people aren't, like, introducing me to people. Like, people aren't like, oh, I got to follow this guy on social. I got to see what he's up to. People are just like, no, nah, I'm I good. know I got you on I'm, Twitter. Uh, I got you um, on Twitter probably 2016, 2017, I bet. I, 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 you're like my one tweet is just I, for you. I love it. I it's followed, like a concert. <laughs> I followed you now. Uh, I I had only had a mutual follow with Barbend, but I didn't like I hadn't followed you until very recently. But I know that you've been friends with the Sturettes for a long time, right? Oh, they're yeah, great. Like, I met the Sturettes back in like 2014 um, when their daughters were in elementary school, and now they're like in college, yeah. and that just blows my mind. Lovely give us people. um, give us a, a like a, a 30 second rundown of who you are, what you do. Um. Yeah, just a quick background for the folks listening, because we didn't do any research. You got it. We did zero research. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> my name is David. Why the heck am I here? Uh, uh. Well, my name is David Tao. There are a lot of David Taos, so I say David Thomas Tao, so people can actually like figure out who the heck I am. Um. I co-founded Barbend in 2016. That's probably what I'm best known for. Barbend was my idea. I was a strength nerd for years. I was a really shitty competitive lifter years for years um, in weightlifting and then in like CrossFit. But I loved the stuff. I just immersed in it. I wanted to get to know the culture and I had a journalism background. So Barbend was like the site I always wanted because I was tired of like having to go to 14 different forums to get event results and like training tips and stuff like that. So Barbin kind of started out of a personal passion. It grew much quicker than we expected. And then basically grew the, like raised money, grew the team. I was CEO of Barbend. We were actually acquired two months ago, a little less than two months ago. And I'm still on the team because I want to be all of our employees switched over all of our execs switched over not because we like have to um, I want to be very transparent there's no like earn out for founders but I kind of built my dream job or was lucky to fall into my dream job you know doing content around strength sports and journalism around strength sports so I can't really imagine working anywhere else and then on the side 
I do a lot of work in like the whiskey space, the spirit space. Um, I grew up in the little town in Kentucky where they make most of the world's bourbon, Bardstown. So I've kind of been interested in that, connected to that industry for a long time. I don't hear the Kentucky in your and voice. That's a thing I was going to mention. Yeah, I want yes. to hear the Tucky. That was on know, my list. I don't know if you know Brandon Lilly, the, 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 old bird dog. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I need that from you. You, you talk to anyone else in my family, they have it. I went to college. Okay, here's the story. Here's here's how I lost the accent. I used to have a little one. So I go to college in Boston. My like second day on campus. I'm drinking out of a paper bag, underage, on on the sidewalk outside of like a frat that I got kicked out of. And this this police officer, this like Boston cop, comes up to me. And he starts talking to me. He's clearly like mad. Like I'm this like 17 year old kid at the time, just drinking on the sidewalk. That's not good. But I couldn't understand what he was saying. And when I started talking, because of his accent, and when I started talking to him, he couldn't understand what I was oh, saying because no. of my accent. And I realized I was like, they're not all going to change their accents. <laughs> so I think. If I- I want to live here. Just started watching Mark Wahlberg. I'm going to have to change mine. Some Mark Wahlberg movies get you right. The Fighter. Yeah, I watched, like, that was like, well, I went to college, like, pre, way before The Fighter. So I watched I watched The Departed, like, seven oh, times in a yeah, row. Uh, and then I just dropped my accent. That's wild. So my family still has it. And if I go back, if I go back home, like, the cadence changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I speak much slower. It's a little more rhythmic. Yeah, I, I get that because my my family was all from Oklahoma, and I started off kind of sounding sounding like them. At some point along the way, I was like, I don't really want to say wash rag for the rest of my life, and so I'm going <laughs> to fix that. And so I sound like a pretty much, you know, a newscaster now. So does does being raised in Kentucky play any role in the, in the strength, um, you know, background that you have, like? Kentucky isn't necessarily CrossFit, but a lot of powerlifting, a lot of big burly boys running around. Obviously, very close to Columbus, which is the you know the epicenter of yep. of now CrossFit, but originally is the powerlifting city of the world. Um, does that kind of did that seep into your childhood? Definitely not in the childhood. There are a lot of country strong people where I'm yeah. from. Where I'm from, so like you know, people who grew up working on farms, doing a lot of manual labor. I did some of that growing up. But, yeah, I, I don't think that impacted me too much. I think that's, uh, I know, something that Kentucky's become a little more known for. That part of the country's become a little better known for. Um, there was, like, weirdly, in the small town where I grew up, there was a high, very high-level Highland Games training gym. So a lot of, like, top Highland Games athletes were in Bardstown, Kentucky. Yeah, because that's even the niche of the niches, Random. right? Like obviously you probably have bodybuilding oh, yeah. up top, Still. yeah, and then maybe maybe probably CrossFit, then powerlifting, weightlifting, third tier, and Highlands is probably yeah bottom sure. of the strength tier, probably so. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of space, yeah, a lot of things to throw. Yeah, you find some hay easier. A lot of farm implements. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Easy enough. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, the one the one thing that was interesting was growing up, we had the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, which is where my actual first job was. And they had barrel rolling competitions, oh. and a fifty-three gallon barrel of whiskey is like five hundred some pounds. Oh, wow. So like you got to be able to move those with some finesse. You just move it like a sled or something. And You're just pushing it. 
No, there were like a couple ways. Like, there were a couple events you could roll them like on their side, which is takes some strength, yeah. and then you could also roll them on like on the edge. It's kind of hard to describe, um, and you could try and get the spin right to where they would like kind of like a bowling ball curve, okay. and you could like try and like get them to go in a certain place. Uh, so that was that was tough. If you ever rolled a barrel of whiskey, that's that's gonna make you sweat. Can't say that I have, but I'd be down. I mean, I think you'd be pretty good at it, really? Mike. I'm pretty weak, man. I, oh, yeah. You, you said earlier that you were a mediocre competitor, and then you started barbending and had a lot of success. That's all of us. If well, we were actually, I didn't say I was a mediocre competitor. I said it was a shitty yeah. competitor. I just want to be clear. Which I just want to clarify Which one's here. better? Is mediocre above shitty? Uh, sh- oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Well, I would probably consider myself <laughs> mediocre, I guess. I don't really know. But either way, the point is that if we were actually good at what we did, we wouldn't be sitting here talking. We'd be probably lifting in Malta or wherever big competitions are happening. That's actually... I would I would probably agree with that. That's actually more, even weirder why we didn't cross paths. Just the mediocreness. You know how they say like... Oh, sorry. Those who can't teach... Those who yeah. can't do teach. Yeah. I'm like one worse than that. I like couldn't even teach. So I just started writing about strength yeah. sports. I mean, me too. I couldn't even coach. I mean, same thing. Report. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even write, dude. You got me. I just talk into a microphone. I can't even spell. Well, you know, the other. But you're so charming. <laughs> it's all fake. It's all made up. The other connection, too, is like you're friends with um, Bornstein, right? Adam's great. Yeah. yeah I met him way like 2012, 2013. Yeah, I don't know him at all, but his co-author on on engineering the alpha is somebody that I've been friends with for 20 years. Oh, John. Yeah. I know John. Yeah, yeah. I've known John a long, long, long time. John used to put on these epic dinners at like Brazilian steakhouses in New York. Uh-huh. Some of the best friends I've made in fitness, I'm, I made at those dinners. I believe that, yeah. Yeah, he had, I, he's really not operating in fitness anymore, but when he was, like, he had some epic mastermind stuff going on. Like, different and intentionally different than most of what everybody else is doing. He's he's more in the relationships. Yeah, storytelling. Like, sex positivity space now, yeah. I think. Yeah. For sure. What's uh what's the first step look like at kind of building an empire that Barbend was? Um there's obviously a lot of websites that do things like that. Um bodybuilding.com come to mind or T Nation for those that are a little more niched out. Um but even those and maybe this is just my opinion, maybe it's yours as well, just kinda of got washed out and a little commercialized. There there's always an agenda behind them that you could feel. Um where Barbend, as long as I've read it, seen it been a part of it <clears throat> has always seemed to truly be about the sports and about the lifters and about the niche itself rather than i've never felt an agenda once from y'all which is like major props at least from a consumer end although i don't consider myself much of a consumer and obviously people have to make money off of what they do so i, I don't necessarily like blame t nation but um yeah everything kind of gets watered down so how how do you turn like you said a little bit of a journalism background um, enjoying lifting, being, uh, I bet you were mediocre, dude. No, yeah, I, I doubt you were shitty. Being a <laughs> mediocre lifter. Uh, and then how do you turn that into like a business that's thriving um, and, and arguably top of the game within that space? I mean, I think our timing was very good. We started at a time when people wanted more coverage of this stuff. 
And for the first couple of years, we were all news. Like we didn't have the money to pay people to write in-depth training content, nutrition content. Like we couldn't even get brands to send us equipment to yeah. review. And we also didn't really have a space for it because we like, couldn't afford like an office for that. So the first year was like me writing 30 plus articles a week just on like every news thing. Like event results, uh, you know, world records, this person's injured, they're out of this competition. And our timing was also good because that year was 2016. It was still when like World's Strongest Man did not release their results publicly. Yeah. So people were just clamoring to figure that out. We were able to report on that early. The Olympics were that year. I wrote reports and recaps for every weightlifting session at the Olympics. Yeah. Like, fortunately, it was in Rio, so the time zone was similar. Yeah. But, like, I just didn't – like, I think I skipped my own birthday party that year. Not that I had a birthday party. I skipped my own drinking alone <laughs> You were writing while drinking whiskey. Just, just to clarify. Yeah, actually. <laughs> and we, we, I just had this insatiable – appetite to cover everything and that was before we had an editorial team my co-founders were just keeping the site running like technically seo uh, we were self-funding it and i was just like i'm going to become a one-man editorial wrecking ball and i've never worked harder in my life or like crazier hours and then we're like okay we have some traction people are, are visiting i remember the first time we got five thousand viewers in a day then ten thousand then twenty thousand and i was like holy cow how did you know? We got to do something with this. How did you know those were good numbers? Did you did you have a background in, in running blogs or something like that? Like, or did your did your yeah co-founders? What 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 was like a standard you were yeah. maybe going by? We I had a background in that. They had a background in SEO and analytics, and and we thought that if we could get to a million visitors in a month, we'll have like made it. Like that's like the top tier we could ever aim for. Like spoiler alert, we blasted past that in like our second year um and we're still growing but that was like the end goal like we didn't even know what the real end goal was but like we're like get to that and nothing else matters um and now we're trying to like go in order of magnitude above that or like several times above that but we tried to raise money in like late 2016, early 2017, because we're like, oh, we got to hire a staff. We can scale this, right? I, I, I was getting burnt out. Like, I can't write all this myself. We need money to pay people. And so we started going to venture capitalists. And this was in the days when like everyone was like, they want to throw money at BuzzFeed, at Vice Media, at like Mike.com, which no longer really exists. Um, and we got turned down by every VC. Like dozens. What's of that them. look like? Uh, like I had you. You just like reach out to them, have a, a Zoom meeting, and like throw them a pitch. Oh, they were in person meetings back then. Don't say back like, then. We were dude. going out to I LA. Feel like that was yesterday. <laughs> it was just it. This is like from the pre-Zoom yeah. era, and people wanted to meet in person. So it was like bouncing between New York and California, trying to talk to these folks, asking friends of friends for intros. Um, I had done some business journalism, so I was asking like my contacts for intros, and like the meetings were so bad because no one believed in our idea, no one thought that it could ever be anything. I literally remember like the one that sticks out in my head is I got coffee in downtown Manhattan with this venture capitalist, and partway through, he was like, "Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Like this is interesting. Let me just." 
pop to the bathroom real quick. And I was like, cool. And he just gets up and leaves. No shot. <laughs> like he didn't even he didn't even like walk toward the bathroom. He just said that and then like walked out the fucking door. I'd literally cry. That's bad. I, I did, yeah. I think. I think I teared up with this coffee That's shop. That's wild. That's just wild, too. Like, human nature is, like, still like that. Could you just say, like, yeah, man, uh, I don't think this is for me. It's not really up my alley. No. Um, and then just, like, finish your coffee or leave. But I think I think everyone in the coffee shop thought he had just dumped yeah. me. Mm. Like, cause yeah. <laughs> I was, like, I'm sitting there alone and somewhat emotional. That's harsh, dude. So all that... All that to say, like we, we were able to raise zero institutional dollars, and because of that, we had to raise a seed round that's friends, family, and people in the fitness industry. There's some rich right? people, like in all the individuals. There are, there are. Um, we did not get a lot of money from them, <laughs> but we we were we had to like really leverage our own personal networks, right? Like, um, I don't I don't come from wealth. Uh, my co-founders didn't come from wealth, but we're, you know, I like talking to people I knew in college who worked in finance and had done well, um, talking to like my co-founders, family members, people I knew in fitness, just trying to get what we could um, just so we could hire some basic staff and grow. And because of that, we knew there was no more money coming. Like we raised the seed round and we're like, cool, this is it. We have to make this work. And I think ultimately the reason we were successful as a business is because we weren't expecting another influx of cash. There was no Series A, Series B. We're like, this is the cash we have. We have this runway. And if we can't get profitable in that time, we're fucked. And that was like that number, like the money in the bank account would whittle down, you know, every week as we paid people. And we're familiar with that. You know, figure. Yeah. And figuring out how to get profitable and build a real business and content was great for us because now I look back at every company in content that did raise venture capital, BuzzFeed News just shuttered. Vice just declared bankruptcy, right? Actually, hilariously, we used to share a building with Vice. We had like a very small office in their very big building. They were like the biggest tenant. And someone recently reached out to me actually yesterday and they were like, hey, do you want to take over the lease? For Vice's yeah. building. <laughs> and like, we don't even have an office in New York anymore. Yeah. We went remote during COVID. But I was like, how fucking funny is that? Yeah. Who made it kind of out of that space? Uh, like Barstool. They're kind of. Barstool yeah, did. They're kind of yep. like a similar one that's had a lot of success lately. Um, you, if your your name had to start with B A R, and then you were going to be a successful <laughs> content uh, company. There is something. There was. On. Oh my God. And they're New York too, right? Barstool? Because he's I the pizza guy, right? So Portnoy's the New York pizza taster. He's the yeah one yeah the one bite or yeah. whatever it is. I don't I don't really follow I don't them either. super closely. I don't follow shit. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think we got really lucky because everyone was like, "Oh, you got to raise venture capital," and the fact that we weren't let uh, let us dodge a bullet because like venture capital and venture capitalists they pushed these content companies to grow unsustainably. And there was no way they could actually make revenue to give VCs that 100x return, right? And, like, we raised revenue, and we gave our investors a great return. They're super happy. When we were acquired, they were, like, over the moon. But their individuals 
we didn't give up control of the company when we raised money. Yeah. We weren't like, we're going to raise money. You all get four board seats. That's not how it worked. And so we controlled our own destiny and we had to build like a real sustainable business. Uh, yeah, that um, makes you exercise some discipline that, you know, having a giant budget and being pushed to go uh, just hard in in the way that these other um, outlets did. Uh, it, it just it, it, it really does set you up for success when success comes around, I guess. And I think, too, the fitness industry and the strength world grew. For sure. Like, it was much smaller in 2016 than it is now. Yeah, yeah I would say... Tw- so we kind of rode that rising tide. Yeah, 2016, you know, at least in our timeline, um, yeah. was probably like, yeah, the first big peak um, that continued to just spread the, the, the roots, kind of the tree, you know? 2012 to 2016 was, was kind of the spark that, that it is now today. I mean, you can even just see it in, like, basic social media followers. Like, the biggest social media, quote-unquote, star in 2016 maybe had... 500,000 followers on Instagram or something. Now the biggest stars have 10 million. Yeah, for you know? sure. And Instagram, sure, Instagram's grown or whatever, but it, it, that's... And uh, you're, we're talking about a time, too, that, um, you know, YouTube fitness was really exploding and it was maybe easier to accumulate audience. Like, most of the the big folks now that we know are not necessarily accumulating audience. They're trying to hold on. Yeah, to audience. Yeah, or they're newer from oh, like yeah. a TikTok space, or yeah, yeah. The whole the whole industry has just changed immensely. I mean, it's gotten younger, which is cool, right? Because the next gen has come in during pandemic, um, and they use TikTok as their main platform and spread it elsewhere. Um, but it is it is an interesting space. Have you guys had to pivot um, based on that, or do you observe that world at all, or do you just stick to the roots of 2016? Like, all right, we're CrossFit, strongman, powerlifting, weightlifting. We're going to report on that. Or do you start to dabble around and say, all right, man, contents, you know, the entire game is switched. How, how do we adapt? We've had to get broader and broader over time. We didn't cover bodybuilding until 2020. Yeah. So like, and that's partially because I was running the editorial team. Bodybuilding was not my competency. It wasn't until Andrew Gutman came on as our managing editor. Now he's our head of content. You know, he had a background in covering bodybuilding. He could build a team to cover bodybuilding. I remember the first Olympia we covered. It was that weird pandemic Olympia they had in, I think, Florida in late 2020. I think they might be going back. And I was suddenly getting... I heard that. It might be going back, yeah. yeah. It, it kind of makes sense for it to be in Florida. Yeah, like, I don't know. You Vegas know, is pretty um, good, too. They're both kind of the same to me. It, <laughs> one's human and the other one's not. Well, they're both very, like, uh, expo-y, convention-y. That's what I meant by that. Exactly. You you can wear very little clothing in both. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, but I remember the first time we covered bodybuilding in 2020, I was getting texts from people at other publications and fitness, and they were freaking out. They're like, since when did you all cover bodybuilding? Mm. Like, like we're getting less traffic because of you, which is not the intent. I'm not trying to like uh, drink fucked, anyone else's losers. milkshake. Get fucked. Step but I was like, since when did we cover baby. bodybuilding? Since now. Yeah. Since yeah, now, bitch. bro. <laughs> New kid um, on the block. But I think... <laughs> I, I I think that we've had to get broader in the type of content we produce. With more resources, we were able to write training content and find people to write training content, like the people who are qualified to write that. Nutrition content, reviews. And in addition, the demographics completely changed. Sure. Right? Like our audience was almost all male when we started. We have more women reading now. More people of color reading now. And like a lot of people I, I haven't I haven't been a face of the brand for a long time. 
it's kind of more recently that I've been doing podcasts like this and talking to great folks like yourself. But like, I'm a person of color. I was in, you know, I've been interested in strength for a long time. And, you know, the first few gyms I went to, I was like the only non-white guy. Right. And that's totally cool. I was always welcome. Like it didn't impact my journey. I don't feel, but gyms are more diverse now. Um, you have more women involved, more people of color, you know, I, I think that, well, this is a little sad, but like every time we post anything for pride month, we lose followers, but like people weren't even doing that yeah. six or seven years ago, right? People weren't even acknowledging that like, oh, people of diverse sexual and gender and sexual orientations and genders are like interested in lifting. It's almost like everyone can be interested in lifting. Yeah. Yeah. And as yeah, crazy, silly, silly to think that, right? I'm being sarcastic, clearly. But <laughs> as as the demographics grew, and as the acknowledged demographics grew, and as more different types of people became publicly interested in all sorts of strength, competitive, non-competitive, we had to broaden the type of content we were writing, or the types of content we were writing. Right, and a big thing for us is like, hey, let's not have the same people in every featured image. Yeah, yeah. It's not just going to be like the ripped white guy. Yeah, stock in, photos. You know, and every article. Yeah, and and like, look, we've had to rely on stock photos before. Sure, sure. It kind of sucks sometimes. Yeah. But and we haven't always been perfect. Like we've messed up so many times. But our mantra is like, hey, the space is getting bigger and more diverse. Our content has to get bigger and more diverse. Yeah, makes sense. Makes I mean, sense, even yeah. just the bodybuilding thing. And I, I think everything goes in cycles, although bodybuilding probably will always be the number one, you know, like gym, sport, or hobby, just because I think just yeah. human nature in some senses, and obviously the lead of Arnold and some of the bigger figures that have made it popular. But I do think it's all cyclical, you know, like 2016 is a great example. Like CrossFit's at its freaking peak powerlifting's insanely popular on the internet and and we're slowly maybe creeping there already i I predicted like three years that powerlifting would kind of make its mini comeback as as a little bit more even with or strength sports in general a little bit more even with the bodybuilding world but i'm already seeing it like how many people on instagram and stuff are just throwing themselves into powerlifting meets out of nowhere um so i think that cycle is back so you guys probably just try to read some of that you might even know you might even be part of the snowball of that effect we're at the size to where like we kind of build our own audience sometimes like if we write more content on a specific yeah. thing we see that search volume for that stuff starts increasing Makes sense. which is like a little crazy to think of the other thing i want to point out is um as people have been in the strength game for longer the age demographics grow mm. right so like so much of our readership right now Masters athletes, people interested in lifting over 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. Some of the content that does the best for us is highlighting people who are not necessarily setting world records as a 25-year-old, right? But people who are doing inspiring and cool things on the record front, the news front, the PR front, who are older in all sorts of age categories. We write on masters results for powerlifting, weightlifting a little less so, but it's catching up, CrossFit, bodybuilding. That stuff does insanely good. And it was not that way back in 2016. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So what's happened is like strength has gotten bigger. Oh, sorry to interrupt. People are finding it and they're sticking with it. Right? So like if you found it as a 35-year-old in 2016, you're now a 42, 43-year-old. 
your approach to training is tra- training has probably changed a little bit. The content you're looking for has changed a little bit. Cool. We have to adapt. Yeah. A lot of like hopping back and forth between the the, the niches too. I feel like is, is a common thing. Like maybe you're a CrossFitter in your 20s, and then you dabble in weightlifting in your 30s, and then now you're the you know just the gym bro in your 40s or something. And even myself of slightly guiltier, you know, of dabbling in different places when you you hit a roadblock or BJJ. Yeah, when mediocre when mediocrity was too loud, I would try something new. <laughs> Like, all right, let's go. A mediocre uh, powerlifting. A victim of my own non-success. Yeah, let's go suck at weightlifting instead now for a little bit. Maybe, and then now I'm like sucking at fake CrossFit, I'm just sucking at it all. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, I don't mind. There's something to be said for the power of being bad at something. No, for sure. And and jokes aside, I think uh, being bad at it and continuing to do it that yeah. makes us badass, my friend. It's easy to fucking do something when you're good. It's hard to do shit when you suck. Oh, yeah. Especially in a public way. Oh, yeah. I'm real public about it. My sucking. Everyone knows. <laughs> Everyone knows. Mediocre physique, mediocre personality, all of it. Uh, so I wanted to ask about this acquisition process. Like, what was the due diligence like about that? And did they like approach you from the beginning or were you like. Did you guys have a have a price tag on yourself beforehand, or what what happened? So, I, I, one thing I want to point out is that I think media companies can only get so big on their own. Yeah, right. Like eventually, you're at the whims of the algorithm. Google changes something. Facebook changes something. Instagram changes something. It creates fluctuations that impacts your revenue. Right directly through ads or indirectly through other sources, sponsorships, you name it. And like if Google changed their algorithm, that changes our bottom line. As CEO, suddenly I'm like, cool, we have to reallocate expenses month to month. It, it kind of sucks, yeah. but it's part of the game. It's fine. As part of a bigger media company, you're able to weather that storm and it all kind of evens out. Because they have more resources and they're more diversified, right? So you can actually like put money towards more predictable growth. You have more time. You're hedged. So we were always open to the idea of being acquired. But we weren't shopping ourselves around, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. And we actually started getting a lot of inbound offers and interest. Like 2021, late 2021. But here's the deal. When websites sell online, they often don't sell as media companies. Oftentimes, people just want the website, they want the asset, and they want to like scrap it for parts. Mm-hmm. right? They want to just like squeeze it for all it's worth. And we had a team at that point. When we sold, we had, geez, I think it was like 17 full-time employees. Those are people with lives, careers, like they work at Barbin because they wanted to build a career in strength content. I was terrified of the idea of selling to a company that wouldn't respect that commitment that we'd made to our employees and they'd made to us. So we weren't even entertaining acquisition offers for anyone who didn't want to keep on our entire team. Right. That was like pretty much a non-starter. And so when Pillar 4 reached out, we had a relationship with that company. Uh, my co-founders and I, you know, we've known the CEO, Todd, for a while. Great guy. We've seen how they do business. We've seen them grow over the years. 
Um, very much a company with a lot of Southern hospitality, which very much appealed to me. Mm. They're based in, in uh, North Carolina. And so when they reached out and they were like, hey, we like how you all do business. We just want to add gas to the engine. We want to grow. We want to take what you're doing. We want to learn from it. Maybe apply it to our other properties too. And then just help you grow more and more. And that was really appealing to us. And so the outcome ended up being good for us, good for our employees, great for our investors. And everyone poured it over. Like every single employee poured it over. Um, and the exec team and the founders, we're still working there because we want to. And they've actually allowed us to, well, we have hired and we've had more resources to hire more people. Like our team is now bigger and has grown faster as part of Pillar 4 compared to when we were independent. Right? So I, I look at our like Monday weekly kickoff calls and there are all these new faces. And I'm like, wow, they wouldn't be here if we hadn't gotten acquired. The due diligence process itself, though, mm-hmm. whew, it is, for selling any company at scale of any size, it's it's complicated, right? Because you don't want any misunderstandings. You want everyone to have the same info. Obviously, lawyers and accountants are involved. I love our lawyers and accountants. Um, I love Pillar 4's lawyers and accountants. But you basically are trying to run a company while spending months on endless calls and due diligence fact-finding with them, mm-hmm. right? So you're going through tax returns. You're going through P&Ls. You're going – I mean, your your websites, you're going through all the analytics. Like every month of analytics for the site's entire existence, you have to go through all of it. It's really complex. Uh, but we needed to do that so that – when we were acquired so that once it was finalized we could just keep the momentum going right so the whole goal was like okay our employees are all coming over how do we disrupt their day-to-day the minimum amount so they can just keep doing what they're doing producing great content and we weren't perfect at it right right but um i think it was a gradual enough transition to where people could keep doing what they were doing get better at it and then integrate more resources as Pillar 4 provided them. And my day-to-day is the one that's changed the most, right? Like, I'm not CEO anymore. A lot of my job is doing, like, brand outreach, talking to people about the brand, thinking about how we're going to expand video strategy, podcasting strategy, now that we have more resources and more people. So my day job completely shifted. But for everyone else... uh, I think it's been a pretty gradual transition and there's been relatively little change for them. In terms of like acquisition and stuff, Jim and I have had a couple of experiences in the past couple of years of just dipping our toes into that world and, and seeing how crazy it is, um, looking at the numbers and, and kind of doing a full audit, like you said, with different teams. And like that's big decisions. There's big money involved. Like you said, yeah. there's other lives and jobs involved. And the content game, it's so easy. Right, even and, and maybe you disagree, but I, I assume you do. You write an article, it bombs. You learn from it, you move on. Right, that the the cycle's not even twenty four hours anymore. It's one hour. Did this do well? Did it not? And as long as you stick to obviously who you are and morals and all that, who cares? Right, there's no harm. You just forget. You move on. So like my confidence with content is I don't <laughs> because day one I've just been me. I'm not like an actor or anything. I can't fuck up. <laughs> there's I have no. 
You know what I mean? I have full confidence going into something. If someone asked me to talk or write or do a video, fuck it. You ask for me, you're getting me uh, uh, right. But doing something that affects so many people and it's such a big business, like you said, you, all the employees looked at it and, and all kind of agreed. But what gave you the confidence? It sounds like after your audit, it felt like a no-brainer. But what gave you the confidence to say, like, all right, this is a huge move, but this is for the net good? I, I believed it was, but I'm not going to lie and say it didn't keep me up at night, yeah. right? When you're running a company and you're making big decisions, and it wasn't just me, right? It's my co-founders and my execs, and it wasn't – no decision was unilateral. Even a CEO, I didn't just, like, make decisions and everything changed, right? Um, but it definitely kept me up at night. It was a huge stressor. I looked – even more ragged than I look now after due diligence. How much this whiskey is an improvement was on what I looked like? A lot of whiskey consumed. Huh? No, almost none. Oh. Almost none, which is the problem. <laughs> Maybe that was the issue. <laughs> this decision would have been issue. much easier. Like I already looked like a muppet. I looked even worse coming out of due diligence. I, you know, you bring up a good point, Mike, about like you can you can see when things succeed and flop. Digital content, you can get instant gratification, but you also get instantaneous disappointment. Yeah. And you have to adapt to both and just move on. And like, you don't have time to, to like be sad that a piece of content didn't perform because if you don't move on, your competitors are going to catch up yeah. or, or beat you. And we have competitors, right? We're in a competitive space now. We're not the only one. I think we're the biggest and best, but you don't stay there by stagnating. Yeah, for sure. Shoot or shoot is what we say. Next shot. Yeah. yeah next shot. You miss a shot. You got to, goldfish memory and keep moving yeah that makes sense was there any point in the process where you're thinking geez i i hope that that doesn't look as bad to other people as it does to me <laughs> as, as part of the business structure or, or you know performance or whatever um i i have talked with my therapist a lot about that because every decision i make i feel like always look terrible yeah like the imposter syndrome is real. Yep. Especially when you start getting, Mike, you mentioned it, like a real audience. Yeah. We had over 31 million readers last year. That's insane. That's right. astounding. Like I think Barbend in the next 18 months will be at, I mean, th this is kind of a guesstimate and a lot of it's seasonal, but like I think in the next 18 months we're going to be at about 45 million readers a year. Jeez. You're like that trajectory. Do you know other websites or like, because even for me, like what what can you compare that to somebody else? Like give us a reference of like a, a mainstream media or something like that, so so we can see what ballpark y'all are in. Um, because in my brain that's not a not shit ton. <laughs> that's an insane shit ton. It, we we were and anyone can correct me on this, but as far as I know, pre acquisition we were the largest independent fitness publisher in the world. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Right. Um, and I think that we're still one of the largest now. We're just not independent, quote, technically independent. And I think that, you know, my dream was always to build something. No, this actually wasn't always my dream because I never knew this was possible. But now my dream is to have, let me be honest, my, my dream is to is to be the biggest and best. Like men's health is kind of the elephant in the room. Yeah. They get They get a lot more traffic than we do. It's not all fitness content. A lot of it's their celebrity content yeah. now. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a little bit apples to oranges. Yeah, they're like teaching but you like, how to I want, a banana and some weird shit. I, I follow them on Facebook. I, no no shame because I've worked with them too in the past, but they they post some crazy shit now. Like I have no clue what they're posting sometimes. I swear to God, it's like they, banana versus apple conversation or something. They they write a lot of different stuff, <laughs> and I don't I don't pretend to know their strategy. Uh, but I'm close with a lot of folks there. Yeah. Eb Samuel, close personal friend. I'm getting dinner with him like in two days. Great guy. But I want Barben to be bigger than that. Like I want Barben to be a bigger brand in fitness than Men's Health, which was unthinkable when we started. Because Barben is a strength brand. Yeah. Yeah. How can a strength brand be bigger than one of the biggest fitness brands, right? And I think that's because people are realizing strength is a part of fitness. You you can't be fit and you can't have that be a priority in your life if there's not some type of resistance training that you're incorporating. Yeah, I mean, that's like the biggest change over like, you know, the decade and decade and a half of done fitness is how many people know what a squat and deadlift are and can at least perform them in some aspect they're not perfect by any means but you go to a commercial gym now there's so many squat racks all the commercial gyms here they used to have the tiered pyramid one where you have to walk out eight feet to squat it or you're going to hit the side posts oh i kind of missed that one yeah i don't hate it i don't (laughs) i don't know why and and i'm not i'm not that short so like those safeties didn't catch me anyways but you go to any commercial gym now there's minimum like five squat racks and again people are you know figuring out how to squat properly but at least people are trying and so i think to your to your truth to your words like like whether you want to call it old school bodybuilding right the arnold squatted ronnie coleman squatted some of the the most iconic guys did but there was an era there of 20 30 years where it was so machine based and so cardio based um that now things are expanding like you said you had to expand your demo but that's because the demo itself kind of expanded bodybuilders squat more you know even like c-bum will do some rdls or some deadlifts mm-hmm. with and he's the guy right now uh versus a couple years ago you know everyone's just sitting on a machine so it is interesting to to go into that next echelon so you guys are tier one already but to be the website it, do you think there's big changes you got to make is there is there new strat and you don't have to do anything you know confidential or secret but is there like a leap you guys have to take or is it just like continuing to hike everest there, there are leaps. Yeah. I'm a pretty straight shooter. We have to be more multimedia. We have to expand our podcast offerings. We have to expand our video offerings. We actually just hired a new videographer. I know two podcasters that might be interested. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a, it, it, you're going to see the press release next week. Barbend acquires 50% yeah. facts. Uh, <laughs> 50% Barbend. Right? 50% Barbend. You don't want that barbie. shit to bend 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Am I break? Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to Joe yeah. Sullivan thing where yeah, you get trapped under injury. the bending barbell. Yeah, you're fucked. Um, yeah, we have to. We have to be more multimedia. Like social media has not been a priority for us for years. Yeah. Uh, we have not had a dedicated social team. Um, video has not been a huge priority for us for a while. Uh, we have to go ham on all of those. Right, like we have to be producing basically daily video content podcasting content we have to get broader and more diverse we have to incorporate that into our written content and our social game we got up our social game like 10x and we have more resources to do that and we have game plans to do that but it doesn't come immediately right like the month after we got acquired i was kind of like yeah we gotta do it blah 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 um and then everyone was like well 
like maybe we make sure that everything else, you know, the things that are like driving revenue already, maybe we like optimize those a little bit. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, my brain like shifted since I wasn't CEO anymore. I was like, oh, let's go. Um, and that's still the energy, but we have to get more multimedia. We have to be more cross-platform. That's what the big mainstream outlets have done. Yeah. One thing that we don't have plans for, and again, I want to be very honest about this. Um, I don't call the shots anymore, but subscriptions, we're not big on those, right? Um, people have asked that. They're like, what about paywalled content or like uh, – you know, I mean that for like our on-site content. We have newsletters. Our newsletters are growing; they're pretty big. Um, you do subscribe to those because that's how email works. Um, I, so, so I've been told. Yeah. I'm still but doing as far pigeons as like, and you know, smoke signals. <laughs> I just yell. I just yell, and however many people hear the content. Yeah, yeah a couple um, downloads, a couple of years us, on the street. Yeah, we have to makes get sense. bigger on. Uh, ooh, oh. I listened to uh, your interview on the Massonomics podcast, and actually, I think that that Tanner connected us because I I uh, mentioned to him that it was a really really good interview. And um, one of the things that really like resonated with me was when you started talking about the when Barbin started to get traction, like when you started realizing, oh, we're actually like people are are people are are engaging with our content and it's kind of developing a life of its own. And that's something that Mike and I experienced with our first podcast. Like when it, when it started to take off, which was pretty early, but like, you know, definitely we started in 13, definitely by 15, it was like crazy on a level that I hadn't really anticipated. Um, and, and really I never had any thought about like, how do we make it bigger? Cause it just kind of, kind of kept going and and no, not a lot of strategy yeah not a lot of strategy at all and um obviously you guys put more thought into that than we did and uh like what how did you make those decisions about what what direction to go when you realized that you were actually um gaining traction well first off i'm really pleased you listened to the massonomics interview those guys are a lot of fun. And when you reached out, Jim, I was like, the Jim from 50% Facts? Because I knew who you were. No. Really? No. I did. I did. Okay. 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 Um, as far as figuring out where to go next and like how we do that planning and strategy, we have a mountain of data. We have seven years of tens and hundreds, literally hundreds of millions of site impressions. Hmm. Right, it might be in the billions now. If you look at the impressions we've had, and so we can dig into that data and see where the trends are going before they might even be trends. So when it comes to like, okay, say we want to expand podcasts, say we want to have five different podcasts a year from now, where are the fastest growing demographics, the fastest growing subjects, the best engagement? Um, that's actually not my strength. I'm not the best at coming through that data. We have hired, since the Pillar 4 acquisition, more people who have a specialty in that realm. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we kind of flew by the seat of our pants to start. Barbend was founded on a hunch that we could make a business out of the strength world, that people were hungry for that strength content without really having the example that proved it could work. 
I mean, the T Nation existed, Breaking Muscle existed. Uh, we actually acquired Breaking Muscle a couple years ago. Um, but it was a bit of a hunch, which is probably one reason we weren't able to raise money that easily. <laughs> because like people don't want to like give you hundreds of thousands of dollars when you're like, I think. Yeah, I believe in this. But, but now we can comb through all this data we have and we can see where the trends are going. And we have that in a way, it's like one of our most valuable assets, right? Is the data that we've had from seven years of doing this over and over and over again. So now those decisions are a lot more informed, but the first few years, it was a lot of throw things against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, I get that for sure. Yeah, no, we are first podcast was started on a uh, a hunch of mine that we could connect more more closely with the audience <clears throat> in a longer format like people would engage more and and um and see themselves more in 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 what we're uh what we were presenting uh what we didn't have a lot of was data because podcasting is still way 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 behind in terms of of uh, demos, for sure, um, you have to run a survey if you really want to know something. Um, you know, Apple has better numbers now than they used to, but that's only people who are using their podcast app under specific um, iOS versions. You know, it's it's inadequate, and so it's difficult to plan. You sort of just have to like watch the whole watch the whole scene and figure out like who who else looks like they're doing something and and i think that there's a danger in that because you end up kind of i think you were saying earlier sort of bring on the people who are um a little bit less reliable in terms of information and a little bit more sensational you know in terms of uh content yeah oh. i'm sorry about that go ahead mike uh in terms of like content itself um the world's weird right now. I feel like, and maybe, you know, you said you're not the data guy, but I'm, I'm sure your data guys inform you on what's going on with the data, or maybe you have your own opinions. But on my end, like TikTok's this five-second content app, right? You're watching something for five freaking seconds, and that's obviously one of the most popular social medias on the planet. And then the other end, you have stuff like live stream, Twitch, Kick, Rumble, all these places, and podcasts, which are... You know, the most popular podcasts typically are super long format. We're talking hour, two hour, three hour. Um, And live streams, I mean, those guys go for five to eight hours a day. And so it seems like the extremes of content, because everyone says like, oh, the whole world has ADHD and whatever. And maybe they do. I don't know. But uh, people are clearly tapping into three hour podcasts and eight hour live streams. Yeah. Um, How has that affected your guys' strategy? I know a lot of your stuff's written, but you obviously create video content and audio content as well. Um, Do you see that going anywhere? What's your opinions on it? And and how do you guys kind of wiggle around the changing of, of, of the, the medias? Interestingly in the written world, the tolerance for longer pieces of content has grown. So we're actually writing longer pieces of content now. And that's on the news side, that's on the evergreen side. So it could be like event results. So how do you add more context to those event results, right? Like the athlete's history or the competition's history or comparing it to previous iterations. How do you really flesh that out? 
um, on the evergreen side, like could be training content, right? Like you got to go deep. We write a lot of 3000 word articles and we used to not do that, but that content performs really well now. And it's almost like when people are looking for something in a written form factor, they like want to spend time on it because they want to focus in on it. So that's kind of the trend we've been seeing on the written side. On the video and podcast side, um, you know, we're really focusing on adding more resources and firepower to that. And so when it comes to length, I, I, we don't have a ton of recent data because we haven't really produced regular videos for like a year. Yeah. And so moving forward, the strategy is like, okay, how can we produce a lot of different types of video and then start doubling down on what performs well? Something you all know very, very well. And different types of video content are going to need different time domains, right? So if it's like an in-depth review on something, like people want a lot of info. Yeah, yeah shit's like, getting nerdy, You can't man. make those too – yeah, you can't make those too long. Yeah. Um, but if it's just like, hey, we're recapping an event, there's sometimes people want something shorter. They're like, okay, I want to get all the download on this in five minutes. And then, you know, maybe if I want something really in depth and all this additional context, I'll go to the written version, right? And I'll compare that to previous event results or something like that. So I'm kind of excited to find out. But yeah, that implication for the written world world uh for the written world uh that content's generally getting longer uh we've seen that in a pretty pronounced way that's interesting have you noticed like we have noticed that when you're producing something that's basic that's intended to be very basic for someone who's just coming into into a particular sport that there just isn't a way to be basic enough <laughs> Like there isn't a way to break it down <laughs> enough. It, it's an explain like I'm five, but I'm three, you know? So there's something that we started applying to our content early on that I think people in fitness were slow to catch up on. So I have a journalism background and they call it the inverse pyramid. So if you write like a report on something or if you write a news article, you start really broad with the stuff that's broadly applicable and you get more and more narrow. So the further you get down in an article, the more specific you get, the nerdier you get, basically, right? The more you assume people already know. And we structure our news coverage like that, right? So like it could be results from the Olympics or the CrossFit Games. You know, that first paragraph, like everyone's going to understand what it means, right? Like the CrossFit Games just happened. Here's what that is. Here's where it was and when it was. Here's who won, right? And as you get further down the article... And this is why longer content's performing better, I think, at least in, in one capacity. You add more subsections to give more specific context. And by the time you get to the bottom, people who have made it that far, well, they've had all the context you've written previously, so they definitely know more. And if they do make it further down, they're probably more interested than someone who's just taking a cursory glance. And so the assumed level of knowledge has increased the further you go down the page. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, I know nothing about the written world. Even though I think I wrote something for you guys. You guys probably chopped it up and hopefully made it way better because it sucked. <laughs> we just, maybe you wrote a regular pyramid and we just turned it upside down. Bro, I probably wrote a square for That's all I know. Did. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm doing. <laughs> all this dropout. I don't know shit. I know how to lift a barbell mediocre, <laughs> mediocrely. That's it. I, I was checking. Okay, so you did you did the Barbell Podcast, Mike, in 2019. 
Deep Depression, man. Oh, October no. 25th, 2018. 2018 to about 2023 January. My memory's <laughs> shot. <laughs> I just came out of a smoke, a fog. Not even mirrors, just smoke. Yeah, no. No, there's no mirrors. No mirrors at all. could see shit. <laughs> yeah. It's been, a, it's been a hell of a five years over here. Well, okay, so in a, in a similar vein, uh, this is something I'm trying to do um, with every episode now, and I don't know if it, it, it depends on my memory, so it could be spotty. But um, uh, what I want to ask is every week has kind of its rose and its thorn. So you can choose either or or give both. But... Uh, do you have anything that fits in those categories that you're able to talk about <laughs> for, for for this week? For this yeah, week, for yes. You. Oh well, wait, wait. Uh, every rose has its thorn. Was that poison? Was that the band? I believe, yeah. Okay. Whenever I hear That's rose, just, like I, stuck in my head on loop now. I still think a seal. Seal. Kiss from a rose. Yeah. The, the Batman. Yeah. Forever. Epic. Epic. Yeah. Totally epic. <sighs> I I only recently learned what the lyrics to that song are. I don't want to. They know. don't make any sense. Yeah, I might ruin it. <laughs> That song still slaps. It yeah, does. Good. Okay. What's the thorn this week? So we just had a big reporting session um, for Barbend for SEO, basically. And Barbend's completely organic. We're not paying for traffic, right? So like SEO is basically everything. And it's not just Google traffic. It's YouTube traffic. It's social traffic. It's Bing traffic. It, you know, it gets broader and broader. SEO is like everything. So right now we're coming off of a period where there are a lot of events, and now there aren't so many events, right? And that'll pick back up around the CrossFit Games. So there's like this lull mm. in the news cycle and strength. And we've experienced a traffic dip because of that, right? Now, it doesn't mean like our traffic has like been cut in half, right? But it's less than it was when the World's Strongest Man was going on yeah. in April, right? It's just like a little dip and it'll pick back up as more events happen. And contextualizing that, especially for like new employees, for the broader Pillar 4 team, which is very understanding because they have a lot of experience with this, like that's a bit of a thorn because you look at that graph and it's a dip and you want things to go up and up and up and up. And for the first few years at Barbend, it was like always up and to the right. Like every month we had growth because mm -hmm. if you're starting from nothing, yeah. you, have, you can't go down. Right. True. Right. You can't have like negative traffic. Like you got used so, to the hockey stick. I got used to the hockey stick. Yeah. And and now it, progress is not linear anymore. And that's been the thorn. It's still a thorn for me because I remember those first few years. Mm -hmm. Right? And I remember how it just built and built and built and built. And it felt like we were on a rocket ship, right? And, you know, now it's a little more up and down. So predictably up and down. But that's a bit of a thorn. And, like, you never want to tell a new employee, like, hey, our traffic's a little bit down this month. Right. Yeah, yeah. It just never feels. And then good. you have to even explain if, why. Even if you predict it, even if you predict it, if you know yeah. it's coming, even if it's normal, it just never feels good. Yeah, one hundred percent. the The rose is. Um, I had a lot of folks reach out to me yesterday and today, like even this morning, um, and they are interested in covering Barbman from the business standpoint, oh. which is something I've been really excited to do. Like, I love the fitness world. I'm honored to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. It's one I listen to. I hope your audience 
hates me less after this. I do have some haters. That means you're shout doing out to it. The haters. Yeah. That means you're doing it. Shout out to like the two. Shout out to like the two haters. And I'm pretty sure that like my mom runs both of those accounts <laughs> just to troll me. Her alts accounts. Um, her, yeah, her alts. Uh, but like, it's been really cool that people have been looking at Barbend now post acquisition, and they're like, "Oh, this is like a mainstream media story." Yeah. Because like every media outlet, if you were to just follow the news, is struggling. Vice went bankrupt. Yeah. BuzzFeed News just shuttered. Like, you know, the Washington Post just had layoffs. Uh, but it's not all doom and gloom. The Athletic yesterday. Yeah. That's stunning to me. Just like to to shift away from the strategy that was working. Yeah, I mean that's like the strategy the New York Times acquired them for. Right, exactly. Right? Like, it's like no, we just want to make you us now. And I I like that more people are interested in us. Obviously, it strokes my ego. Right. I'm like, yeah, I'll talk about this business <laughs> I started. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't mind if I do. But. I like that people are looking at a business that's endemic to the strength community mm-hmm. and they're saying, oh, that's a real business. There are content lessons there for other audiences and other communities. Because when we first started, a big reason no VCs wanted to give us money was because they didn't think strength was a real audience or a real community. They didn't think it was worth a shit. And it was a lot smaller then, to be fair. Yeah. But now that people are looking at us and they're like, oh, maybe other different outlets and different spaces can learn something from Barben. That that feels really good, um, and maybe it'll show some people that like a career in media, like can actually happen, right? You can actually still build something in this space. It's not just everything going out of business. Yeah, or a side hobby. So I think yeah. that's what most people probably think of. You know, even even with what we do, or oh, you kind of do YouTube. Like, yeah, I kind of do YouTube. You know, <laughs> oh, you kind of. You kind of do that. Oh, yeah, you kind of do that. Oh, you kind of write about sports or you kind of have a podcast. Because it, it has – all of it's gotten so popular that it's almost become hobbified. Like it had to be a hobby yep. in 2010 Yeah, when you start a podcast for YouTube because there no one was doing it. There was no, no such thing. But there's enough history now. But then everyone, yeah, hopped on the train. And so for 99% of people, it is a hobby. But that doesn't mean the 1% doesn't have insane potential if you stick with it and have, have some – keys that that the world wants to see know read buy uh and then you take it seriously long enough kind of anything can become something yeah for sure i want to thank you for joining us today and um thanks for having me guys and and you should come visit us because i think you would enjoy yourself here yeah you ever head to the west coast not la Uh, don't say la california's big la sucks I didn't. I, I don't like. I don't like you, LA. Oh my god! I'm gonna get canceled. No, no. When I say no, that, LA fucking sucks. <laughs> Disneyland's all they got. Uh, yeah. You know how to not make friends? Say that the second biggest city in America isn't fun. No, it sucks. They know it too. Everyone there is starting to realize it sucks. It's always sucks. Well, look. I need to make a West Coast trip soon. I'd love to come see you guys. I'd love to avoid LA if I could. And the next time you guys are in New York, let me know. I'll show you a good time. I would love to. I haven't That'll been be in, one of the... I don't think I've been in since 2015. No, no, no. You've been since then. Yeah, 17, 17 maybe? Probably. 17, 18. Uh, yeah. Kenny Santucci, you might be familiar with the name. Good for, good friend of mine. Yeah, he used to have me out there for some seminars and things. Yeah, I, I think he's still having pretty big seminars, yeah? The Strong? The Strong he that is. he's putting on? Yeah, The Strong New York. I'm working out with him Friday at his new spot. Well, not, it's not so new anymore. They've been there for a couple of years. Yeah, but uh, yeah. when's Strong? October? 
August? Whenever he's doing uh, that. I, th- I think so. That might be an excuse. To it was October have. last year. Yeah, that might be a good excuse to head out there. Um, it's a good community. Uh, they've been doing a lot of outdoor workouts. They call them street meet. Yeah. So they're just like working out right. literally like on the streets next to where the gym is. And people freaking love it. It's awesome. Uh, they're in Manhattan still? Yeah, they're in Manhattan. They're in um, like kind of right above Madison Square Park. Oh, okay. So I'm in Brooklyn. Um, but I try and work out there like once a week, once every other week. So I'll, I'll grab a workout with him on Friday. Yeah, Kenny's a fun time. Awesome. Where can people find you? Well, obviously, follow Barbend, follow Breaking Muscle, which Barbend also owns. Uh, the Barbend Podcast, which I still host. They still let me host that. So I'll keep hosting until they say don't, which is weird, but fun. Uh, me personally, you can find me on Instagram at David Thomas Tao, on Twitter at D underscore Tao. That's D underscore T-A-O. And this is this is the big mistake I make. If you want to email me, I'll give out my email, david at barbend.com. So email me with all your complaints. I was going to say accolades and admiration, but let's be honest, you don't have any of that. What's the majority? If you're emailing me, it's a complaint. Yeah, what's the majority of the emails you get from like random shit the majority, in the world? The majority of, of random emails that I get and that like we get at our info at barbend and all that other stuff um, is athletes who want us to cover them, which is great. Which is awesome. Or people who are upset that we don't cover like events more in depth, like like smaller events or mid tier events more in depth. Yeah. And, and that always used to like really hurt me because some of them are kind of mean emails. <laughs> yeah. But that's but but someone contextualized it for me. It actually might have been Tanner from Massonomics. He's like, wait a minute, their complaints are that they want more of your product. Yeah, and because content is your product. Yeah. Right. And I was like, oh, that's actually fine yeah and we want to cover more right but as our team is only so big like as as we grow Mm -hmm. and as our capacity grows we can write more and more in depth on more events more athletes more topics cool so like most of our quote-unquote hate mail is people saying hey we want more bar bend and once i started thinking of it like that I was like, cool, I'll just give out my email. Send yeah. me all those. Yeah, pretty good place to be in. Yeah, not a plan. I'm going to send you my out. resume every day now. <laughs> I'm just going to schedule it and mail it to you. Just go every single day. It'll be my resume. <laughs> every, every morning, it's like, oh, it's Mike again. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's see hey, what Mike. mediocre deadlift he did today. Hey, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'll just follow you my own reports and my workouts. It'll just be my. Yeah, just, yeah, just send me your training log. Yeah, it'll be my training log. Yeah. Wow. Two sets of two. That guy's working hard today. All the outtakes from your, from your YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just scrap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that you edit out, send my way. There Compile it and send it my way. Who knows? I don't, we probably don't edit a lot out, sadly. That's part of the issue. <laughs> Who knows the bullshit I say? Mikey. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. We got new episodes every single Wednesday and Friday here. Uh, subscribe share your friends appreciate you uh 3sb.co for all your clothing needs third street barbell sacramento california if you are in town um and i'm Salam mike where you want to find me i am at the jim mcd on all the social media the show is 50 percent facts where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers 50 percent facts is super fun podcast in association with iHeartMedia on the website 50 percent facts now brought to you by barbell.com <laughs> <Hillary. laughs> exactly. thanks so much for a partner with me. Okay, thank you. Okay.